This is the Jesus Habit Podcast, where we're using scripture and science to make your new nature in Christ second nature. Episode 78 for Tuesday, January 28th, 2020. As we continue our tour of biblical characters who went through various struggles, we turn our attention to the prophet Elijah. His story can be found in 1 Kings chapter 17 through 19 and 2 Kings 1 and 2. His story starts out by telling King Ahab that there's going to be a severe drought and famine in the land. As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word, Elijah says. Talk about an introduction. Hi, King. My name is Elijah, and I'm here to tell you that there's going to be a drought for a few years that won't end unless I give the word. How are your grandkids doing? Well, then God leads him out into hiding by the brook of Cherith. There God feeds him in the morning and the evening by sending ravens with bread and meat in their beaks. First, in the words of Jimmy Fallon, ew, but I guess if you're starving. Second, just think, the next time a bird steals your lunch, you might be going to a prophet in hiding. You never know. Well, then the brook dries up and he goes into town where he meets a widow who is literally about to use up the last bit of flour and oil she has to make some bread for she and her son's last meal. But God miraculously provides for them through the jars of flour and oil, promising that they will last until it rains again. Well, after all this, the son gets sick and dies. But Elijah takes the boy upstairs, uses a very different form of CPR than the ones we see on TV, and cries out to God, who brings the son back to life. Some more time passes, technically many days, but we learn that it's in the third year of the drought that God tells Elijah that he has to go back to Ahab and tell him that God is going to send rain on the earth. On the way, he meets Obadiah, who tells Elijah that there's a bounty out on his life. When he meets Ahab, the king puts all of the blame for the drought on to Elijah, not realizing the reason for the drought was because King Ahab and his father had abandoned the commands of the Lord and followed the Baals. This is where it gets interesting. Elijah lays down a ridiculous gauntlet. Gather all the prophets of Baal and all the prophets of Asherah and have them meet me at Mount Carmel, not Caramel, 850 to 1. Not very good odds. Well, it's here that we see a very confident version of Elijah. While they're calling on their little g-gods to light up the barbecue, Elijah starts mocking them, saying, You need to yell louder because maybe he's using the bathroom, or he's on a journey, or he's asleep, and you need to wake him up. The funny thing is, they listened and shouted louder, cutting themselves, but still, no one answers. Then it's Elijah's turn at bat. Again, Elijah is full of the confidence of God and after making an altar, told whoever was standing there to get four jars of water and pour it on the wood, and then to do it again. I don't know where they got the water from. I mean, they're on top of a mountain. So they may have had to take a hike, get the water, and then take a hike and get more water. Regardless, the wood is soaked, which is not the best way to start a fire. Elijah prays, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. 
and fire comes down from heaven that doesn't just light up the wet wood, but consume the offering, the stones, and the dust, and consume the water that was in the trench around the altar. Elijah commands them to capture all the prophets of Baal, then tells the king that rain is coming. But it doesn't. He looks again, and still nothing. After the seventh time of sending a servant out to look for clouds, the servant comes back and says, There's a little cloud way out over the sea. And then it did rain. Soon after that, Ahab tattles on Elijah to Jezebel, who issues an execution order for Elijah. And this bold, confident man goes up to Jezebel, confronts her with the same confidence he had on the mountain, and she melts into a puddle. Just kidding. Elijah panics and runs for his life, finding a cave to hide in. This is where God asks him, What are you doing here, Elijah? To which Elijah replies, I've served you faithfully. The people have betrayed you. I'm the only one left who worships you, and now they're trying to kill me. How does God respond? I might respond by saying, Buck up, Elijah. Didn't you just confidently confront 850 people and win? Where's that courage now? But God said, Go stand on the mount before the Lord. Don't you just love it when you're in a desperate situation and God decides that it's a good teaching opportunity? So Elijah is out there where a great and strong wind tears the mountain apart, which is followed by a powerful earthquake and a fire. But God was not in any of these powerful displays. After all that, there is the sound of a low whisper, which can actually be translated as thin silence. When Elijah heard the silence, he wrapped himself in his cloak and went out where God asked him again, What are you doing here? To which Elijah gave the same response. Then God gives him a new command, a new mission, and reminds him that there are 7,000 people who have not bowed to worship Baal. In other words, Elijah wasn't the only one. Now there's more to Elijah's story, but we'll stop there for today and ask, What can we learn from Elijah's story about suffering and struggle? First, I think we can learn this, that when you're doing God's work, he will provide for you. Remember, this whole thing started with Elijah being obedient to God. And shortly after he followed through with his mission, he found himself in hiding. I can only imagine what Elijah's thoughts were in that moment. I mean, I go and do the thing that God tells me to do, and what did it give me but isolation and recycled food? Regardless, God provided for him. Sure, it probably wasn't the way he would have liked, and to be honest, most of us would probably rather starve than eat food that a raven had in its mouth, but still, God provided. God will provide for our needs when we are doing his work. When you're struggling and it feels like God isn't providing, we can ask ourselves a couple of questions. One, have I been faithfully doing God's work? If the answer to that question is yes, and it seems like God still isn't providing, then two, could it be that what I think I need is really what I want? Because if we're honest, most of us think that we need things that we really don't. The second thing I think we can learn from Elijah and struggle and suffering is that when you're doing God's work, you may face fierce opposition, but God will protect you. Look at the confidence Elijah had on that mountain. Can you imagine having the same confidence in the face of an army of at least 850? 
I mean, this just wasn't a few people. This was a lot of people, and there were probably servants and others with them too. There could have been thousands of people on that mountain, and Elijah opposed them all. We can be confident that when God gives us a mission that flies in the face of the vastly worshipped gods of our modern era, that we will face opposition. I mean, if you talk about dying to yourself in a society that exalts and worships self, someone is going to have a problem. If you live a sacrificial life, take risks to share the gospel with someone who thinks they don't need a savior, you will face opposition. But God will protect you. You may have to endure the emotional trauma of being disliked, but God is on your side and you have his approval. And his opinion is the only one that matters. The third and last thing we can learn from Elijah is that when you're surrounded by chaos, seek the peace of God's presence. There are times when it feels like the whole world is against you. It felt that way to Elijah. Here he had just done this big thing for God, and his reward is a hit being put out for him. So he runs in terror. It may feel like the world is against you, but none of us have experienced what Elijah did that day. But even then, the whole world wasn't against Elijah. It just seemed that way to him in the chaos of the now. When we're caught up in the chaos of the now, it's so easy to lose the permanent, eternal, never-changing perspective of the Father. It's easy when you're in it to lose the perspective of the one who is over it. When the chaos of life is roaring like a wind, knocking free huge boulders, when it shakes the earth beneath our feet and the world appears to be on fire, we need to escape the cacophony of chaos to find the peace of God's presence. That's the only way to get perspective. Get to know the one who isn't limited by being in it like we are. 1 Kings 19.12 And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper, thin silence. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. www.thejesushabit.com